Uh, welcome to Glenlock this morning. There I am. Welcome to Glenlock. Uh, thank you for being here, choosing to worship with us this morning. Um, just a few announcements before we get started. Church conference is tonight at 6, deacons meeting at 7. Um, so we hope to see you at church conference tonight at 6. The deacons meeting will follow at 7. Um, next Sunday night, the 31st, we'll be having a churchwide movie night in the youth space. That'll be from 5 to 7. Um, we're going to have popcorn and candy and drinks. So we'd love for you to join us for a, uh, a fellowship night that evening, next Sunday night, March 31st, uh, in, the, in the youth building at 5. Also coming up soon, Easter egg hunt. Um, Glenlock Children Easter egg hunt will be April 10th at 6 p.m. Please bring in filled Easter eggs and put in the bins located in the welcome area. We need as many donations as you can bring. So we hope to have a lot of eggs and a lot of fun that evening. Um, Youth Cornhole Fundraiser. This is a something we do last year. We did last year, and we're doing it again this year to raise money for our youth to go to youth camp this year. Um, it's the the dates changed from what I announced last week, but this is the final date. It's going to be May fourth. I didn't realize that Her County High School's prom was the night that we had decided to do it before. So May fourth is going to be our our Her County. I mean our Glenlock Youth Cornhole Fundraiser. Um, it's only twenty dollars a team. Um, all the money, all the proceeds go to helping our kids go to youth camp. So we hope that you come out and support that, either by playing or donating boards. Um, we, bo- we need both players and donations of boards for that, for that weekend. So um, if you can help in either way, let me know. If you'd like to sign up a team, you can do that on our website. Also, youth camp is coming up soon. Um, youth camp will be July 15th through the 19th. We'll have a couple of local churches joining us this year. So fill out your spots um, as soon as you can. If you plan on coming, there's a sign-up sheet in the back. Um, you can go ahead and put your name down. We can secure your spot for that. Um, it's July 15th through the 19th, $225 per student. That's for the whole week. Um, also, this Wednesday, the youth are going to meet at the Heard County High School Gymnasium for the Heard County High School FCA Revival. So we won't have youth here on Wednesday night. We'll meet there, and that's at 6.30. And so as we begin, uh, get ready for worship this morning, uh, Mr. Durrell Langley is going to come forward and read our call to worship. Before I read the scripture this morning, I want to share a short story with you. Excuse me. We all know how important The Bible is a book that it is. But I want all of you to just kind of think back in your past for a second and think about the most important Bible, just a book, that you've ever had. I'm going to tell you my story. I wish I still had that Bible today, but I'm going to share with you why I don't. February the 19th, 1969. All the young men that boarded the bus that was drafted here in Franklin, a lot of you remember Miss Jane Simonton. She gave each one of us a Bible as we took a step on that bus. I carried that Bible with me to Vietnam. A lot of you here know that I was in infantry 
I was wounded over there. I kept that Bible wrapped in plastic. Every opportunity that I had, I took that little Bible the size of your hand, and I read verses in that Bible. I could stand up here and talk to you for an hour about my experiences that year over there. When I came home, praise the Lord, I'm here before you today. But my duffel bag never made it home. And that Bible is in that duffel bag somewhere today. Hopefully somebody found that Bible the size of your hand, and hopefully somebody still has it today with my name written in it. Our verses today is in Matthew 16, verses 21 through 27. Jesus is telling about his death. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised up again on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, interest but man's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Good morning. You'll stand. We're going to begin our worship this morning. We're singing, Oh, How I Love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus, oh. 
morning as we worship we want to welcome a couple of special guests who to my knowledge are both here for the first time one is really really young in fact he was born in January and he is the healthy baby boy of Judd and Megan Spruill so Megan and Judd congratulations we are blessed to have you here let's welcome Kipton Wayne is he still back there oh he's asleep okay you're supposed to save that till the sermon Kipton Wayne Spruill. Let's, let's quietly welcome Kipton. Thank you, Catherine. Also for the first time is a man who originally is from New Jersey, so you'll recognize pretty quickly that his accent and mine are pretty different. Uh, nonetheless, Ken Worrell, who is now lives in Noonan, and he's based out of First Baptist Noonan, he is with Gideon's International. Now, I can't help but think that maybe Durell, was it a Gideon's Bible? Yes. Jane Simonton had a stack of Gideon's Bibles. So, I thought that that may be the case. Um, anyway, so we've got a good lead in, Ken. Ken, why don't you come up and share with us a few minutes. As we do annually, we want to remind ourselves of the impact that Gideon's International has uh, for the kingdom of God, not just locally, but but across the, the globe. Ken, would you come? Welcome to Glenlock. During Christmas time, how many have, have ever been in the mall? And maybe you might have seen a ministry called Angel Tree. But do you know how it all began? Let me introduce you to a person you do not want to know. Her name was Mary Kay Beard. She was a hardened criminal. In fact, she was on the FBI's most wanted list. Her and her husband were bank robbers. They were, you could probably con uh, consider them the modern-day Bonnie and Clyde. And not far from here, they would rob banks down in Alabama. But as every criminal knows, crime does not pay. 
Eventually, she was caught, arrested, put before the judge. She was facing 21 years of prison. In fact, she was on the FBI's most wanted list. The day finally came, she was put in a prison cell. The door closed behind her. And as she looked around, she saw a book as we know as the Bible. And as she saw that Bible, she didn't want anything to do with it. So what she did to hide it, she tucked it in her mattress. And it stayed there for a number of months. But it just so happened one day, she was prompt for a reason, we know why, to take that Bible out. And when she took it out, she kind of plopped it on the ground. And it just so happened that it turned to Ezekiel 36, 26. And let me read that verse to you. It says this, a new heart will also I will give you, a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away that stony heart out of your flesh. And as she read the word of God, the spirit of God worked within her life. And she realized that she was a sinner before a holy God. She needed a savior to forgive her of her sins. And in that prison cell, she invited Christ into her life. And see, before she, she came to know Christ, her life was all about self. She saw her own needs, her own wants. But when Christ came in her life, she saw the needs around her. She saw these women who were in prison with her during Christmas time. They couldn't give gifts to their children. And she saw the need, and that's how it all began. So just who are the Gideons? We're born-again believers. We believe in the Great Commission of getting the gospel throughout the world. We're in over 200 countries around the world. On an annual basis, we give out 37 million scriptures. We're members of local church. We're just businessmen, uh, professional men. We believe in the Great Commission. Kind of give you, uh, break it down a little bit more. Every time your heart beats, somewhere around the world, someone's getting the word of God being distributed to them. In the country of uh, India alone, one million scriptures are given out annually. Let me give you another personal story. There's a lot of numbers I can throw at you, but let me tell you personally about another uh, student by the name of Rob. Rob, on his college campus, was walking across the campus one day up in New Jersey. I believe it might have been Rutgers University. And off to the side, he saw these men who were distributing what we call the New Testament. And as the students came by, they would distribute to these students. So Rob, as he saw these students, um, excuse me, as he saw these Gideons giving out the scriptures, he didn't like that. It angered him. And so he started to heckle the Gideons and make fun of them. And so one of the Gideons challenged him and he said, hey, how about taking one of these? Take it and read it as you go home tonight. And Rob says, I'll take one of these, but you know what? I'm going to go home and burn it tonight. And so Rob went home that night, but you know, God had other plans within his life. Instead of burning this New Testament, Rob started to read what God's word had to tell him about being a sinner, that he needed a savior. He invited Christ within his life. He was transformed. He became a new creature. And so a year went by. The Gideons came back to that same campus, same place again. And as Rob saw them distribute the scripture, he went up to them. He apologized to what happened, to his intention to want to burn this book, the New Testament. And he told what happened within his life. His life was transformed. Let me share one more story with you by the name of Francisco Gomez. He was a young boy, age 10, who was introduced to drugs. He came from a broken home. He was a criminal. He got very heavily involved in drugs. He was going to be facing 75 years within prison. Well, the day finally came that he was put in prison, and he realized for the rest of his life that he was going to be in prison. So there was a lot of anger, a rage. And so one day, there was a group of Gideons that came to his prison. And all the prisoners were uh, released from their prison cell and brought in an auditorium like this, a smaller one. 
And as Rob, excuse me, as, as Francisco Gomez was hearing that message, he again was full of anger and rage. And so he wanted to, to attack the Gideons up front, so he went forward to do bodily harm to them. Well, in the process of that happening, the guards came, captured him, subdued him, and put him back in his prison cell. He had a coat on like this of some sort. He was so angry, he took off his coat and he threw it against the wall. And when he did, it just so happened, a little New Testament fell out of his pocket. One of the Gideons, when he was subdued by the guards, tucked a New Testament within his pocket. And so he picked that up out of alarm. Where did that come from? He picked it up and he started to read it for several hours. And after several hours, again, as I told you of the other two stories, the Spirit of God worked within his life. He realized that he needed a Savior. He was a sinner before a holy God, and he asked Christ to come into his life to be his Lord and Savior. But the story does not end there. Years later, he became a pastor in Spain. His mother actually went before the judge to help reduce the sentence from the 75 years to a lot lower uh, term that he would spend in prison. Another book that we're very excited about that we give out is the life booklet for um, students who are in high school and uh, junior high. We realize that we can't get the gospel any longer into uh, public schools. So this has been a wonderful opportunity to get the gospel through churches like yours, who will, uh, through their, their uh, students. Another thing that we have is the um, getting card program that we have in the back there that you're welcome to use to give in someone's name. Pastor Neil, excuse me, I'm losing my voice. Thank you again for allowing us to be here.
you'll stand, we're going to worship together again and sing Mighty to Save. for just bringing us here to worship and gather and fellowship this morning, God. 
Lord, thank you for such a sweet reminder of how precious your word is, God. Lord, it's not just a book that needs to stay on our bookshelf, God. It's not just a book that needs to sit in our back seat between Sundays, God. And God, I know I'm so guilty of that, just leaving my Bible sitting in the back seat, God. Lord, we take so um, we take for granted, God, that we live in a nation where we even have our, our Bibles on our phone, God. And Lord, that your word is never out of reach of our hands, God. Lord, I pray that this week we will be led and encouraged to reach for it daily, God. Um, and to just dive into your word, Lord, and let it be a guiding lamp into our feet. Lord, open our hearts right now as we um, dive into your word in this time of study. Lord, speak through Pastor Neil this morning. We love you and praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, please. Grateful for our children's ministry as our children lead for Children's Church. And grateful for the words we've already heard about the Word of God and how transforming it is. Not only is the Word of God powerful to, to save through the power of the gospel, but it's also powerful to transform. Paul in 2 Corinthians desires to move the Corinthians beyond insight to application and obedience, to not just knowing uh, the truth, but applying it and obeying it in their lives. I'm convicted this morning because I stand before you as someone who may have neglected a responsibility that my children felt like I should have had today as we drove to church. How many of you noticed that there was a calf out on Glenlock Road? Did anybody else see that? Am I the only one culpable here? <laughs> On our way to Sunday school this morning, I had Jake and Bennett with me. And uh, we're coming by Goshen Church, Goshen Methodist. And on the left, there appeared to me to be a calf on the outside and the mother cows on the inside. And as I drove, I said, I think that calf was on the outside of that fence. But knowing that things aren't always as they appear to be, I went down to the next little road, turned around, and went back up there and looked on my right. Sure enough, the calf was out. And the mother calf, the mother cow's just on the other side, and she's, she's very skeptical of me. <laughs> so I turn around, and I go around behind Goshen Church, and then pull, and then I'm headed back, you know, headed to Glenlock. And one of the boys says, you're not going to be a good Samaritan for that calf? And I says, uh, I guess not. You know, I'm like the priest and the Levite, headed on to church. <laughs> not sure who to call, but so anyway, I guess I stand before you as someone who, I had insight. In fact, I had double insight. I went back to make sure the calf was out and did nothing about it. So, but maybe by the time most of you were there, you know, the, the, the situation had, had changed and the calf found his or her way back inside. So, anyway... Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 12. Paul's desire is to move them beyond knowing to actually doing, beyond insight to obedience. And, and they're being lured astray by the false teachers who have come to Corinth. And let's be honest, we've talked about this throughout 2 Corinthians. They look great and they sound great. But things aren't always as they appear. And Paul is saying they are deceiving you. They're leading you astray from the gospel. 
So we're, we're picking up with where we were last week. God had not only blessed Paul with the gospel, but God had also allowed Paul to experience some pain and difficulty in his life. One of those things happened to be what he called a thorn. We talked about that last week. So I'm going to pick up in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. We're going to read the rest of the chapter. And then we're going to talk about the gospel and ministry and how Paul learned from Jesus and from this thorn many things that applied to his life and ministry as an apostle. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, insults, distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Apparently, the false teachers had insulted and mocked Paul because of his appearance, his lack of eloquent speech. And Paul says, I'll glory in those things if in those things Christ can be magnified. So in verse 11, he says, I've become foolish. You yourselves compelled me. Actually, I should have been commended by you. For in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am a nobody. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. For in what respect were you treated as inferior to the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not become a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong. Now to be frank, Paul is being a little sarcastic with the Corinthians. Forgive me for not being a burden to you. Verse 14. Here for this third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden to you, for I do not seek what is yours but you. For children are not responsible to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. And I will most gladly spend and be expended for your soul. If I love you the more, am I to be loved the less? But be that as it may, I did not burden you myself. Nevertheless, crafty fellow that I am, I took you in by deceit. More sarcasm. He's being accused of deceitfulness and craftiness because he won't take money from them and be a burden to them financially. So they think there's more to this guy than appears to be and that we don't know that we can trust Paul. Again, I'm, I'm reiterating some things that we've learned as we've studied this. Is Paul a trustworthy, genuine apostle? Verse 17, Certainly I have not taken advantage of you through any of those whom I have sent to you, have I? I urged Titus to go and send the brother with him. Titus did not take any advantage of you, did he? Did we not conduct ourselves in the same spirit and walk in the same steps? All this time, you have been thinking that we are defending ourselves to you. 
Actually, it is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ. And all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I am afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you to not be what I wish. And may be found by you to not be what you wish. That perhaps there may be strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. I am afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you. And I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and not repented of the impurity, immorality, and sensuality which they have practiced. Father, thank you for the power of your word. Thank you that not only does it instruct us in the truth of the gospel, but it also instructs us in such a way that we not only can be saved by the gospel, but that we can grow and change and be transformed. May we hear Paul's heart today as he explains his ministry as an apostle. Lord, may, may we not lose sight of what this calls us to hear and us to be and us to do in our own life and ministry. Thank you for the call you've placed upon each one of us to let our light so shine before men so that they may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Father, thank you for the ministry of the gospel and all that Paul says here in 2 Corinthians 12. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, Paul is coming for a third visit to the Corinthians. And if you're like me, you'd like to know ahead of time if people are going to show up. So-and-so is coming very soon to your house. And if you're as us, we scramble, okay, to put everything in order. Because perish the thought that they'll see how we really live. Paul's coming for a third visit. So part of what he's talked about in this letter is to prepare them for his visit. He is their spiritual father. In Acts chapter 18, he has preached the gospel to them. And as he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ to them, he became for them their spiritual father. So he speaks to them as a father to his children with nurturing, caring love. And as he speaks to them, he in a sense defends his apostleship because there are so-called super apostles who have come into the church and are leading them astray. He's just shared about his thorn. And this thorn that God permitted out in his life has had an empowering effect upon his ministry because it has had a humbling effect upon his ministry. So Paul himself is growing deeper personally in his understanding of the gospel and how it affects his relationship with the Corinthian church. So my hope is that to share a few things this morning, principles from this text about ministry in the gospel and, and, and ministry that, that is driven by the gospel and how it unfolds. And there's a lot here that, that you know, brings with it a need to explain a little of the context and what he's talking about. First, I want us to see the mindset, the mindset that Paul has in his gospel-driven ministry. He has what I will call good spiritual equilibrium. 
He sees himself appropriately and he carries this mindset daily in his relationship with God and his relationship with himself and his relationship with the Corinthians. And here it is right here. Look at verse 11. We've, we've, we've honed in on this a bit in the past. But in verse 11 he says basically, listen, all this boasting that we were doing about how wonderful we are, that is foolish. Therefore, I'm going to boast about my weaknesses. Because it's not about me and my strengths. It's not about me and my credentials. It's about Christ and who he is and what he's done. So in verse 11, he says, look, you, you are not commending me as an apostle. And you should have recognized me as a genuine apostle because I preached the gospel, the good news about Jesus. But then in verse 11, he says, look, there's something interesting. He says, in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I'm a nobody. So he says two things at the same time about himself. Here's his mindset. I have confidence because I'm not inferior to anyone. And I have humility because I also know that I'm a nobody. Does that make sense? That, that Paul is saying, in no respect am I inferior to, and let me quote David Garland's commentary, he called these super apostles flamboyant buffoons. I thought that was strong language. Paul says, I'm not inferior to any of, the, any of these guys. If you would see them as they truly are. So Paul has confidence and the source of his confidence is in God himself. And that's why Paul is okay boasting about his own weaknesses and failures. Confidence as a Christian comes from this reality that's, that's found in the gospel. Since God values me enough to send his son to die for me, and God has sent his spirit to reside in me, there is never any need for any of us in Christ to either feel afraid or intimidated. There's no need for any of us ever to be afraid or intimidated, even in the presence of the most eminent apostles, because he has said, my grace is sufficient for you, and he has said, greater is he who is in you than he that's in the world. So if you feel a lack of confidence, and if you feel insecure, and if you feel in, afraid, and oftentimes we do because we are human and we are fallen, we go to the cross of Christ, and He gives us the confidence and the courage that we need to share the gospel and to live the Christian life. Our confidence as disciples flows from what God has done for us. Jesus told his disciples, do not be afraid. Not even a sparrow touches the ground apart from your heavenly Father. And listen, children, you are worth more than many sparrows. Well, what are we worth? We are worth the life, the death, but the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that's how, in the presence of the most so-called eminent apostles, says, look, Paul says, I'm not inferior to those guys. But then the flip side of that is that he also has deep humility. Paul knows that he's the chief of sinners. That's why all of us can say at the same time, I'm not inferior to anyone. 
but I'm also a nobody. You see how that balances you out? Well, you begin to feel superior and better than other people, and you stand at the foot of the cross, and you look up, and you see Jesus Christ dying on behalf of you, the sinner that you are. And just as the cross lifts us up, lifts us up when we're discouraged, boy, it can humble us when we become proud, and when we become arrogant, and we become flamboyant buffoons, as, as the phrase was in our own mind. Paul knows that his self-oriented sources of pride are nothing. So he has confidence, but he also has humility. Humility, since I am such a sinner, that it required God's miraculous work of grace in Christ in order to save me, pay my sin debt, and transform me. So there is no need to be intimidating, deceptive, or manipulative in your relationships with other people. Well, why would he say such things? Because the super apostles were being that in the lives of the Corinthians. They were being very manipulative, they were being very deceptive, and they were being very insulting and degrading of Paul and his ministry. So Paul has a gospel-driven mindset in that he has confidence and boldness and humility all at the same time. I feel like John the Baptist had this as well. When they came to him and they said, John, people are leaving you and they're going to Jesus. John had the humility and the awareness to know that that was a good thing. And he had the clarity to see Christ for who he was as God had given John the Baptist this special role as a prophet. John the Baptist had the right thinking. He got it right. He said of Jesus, He must increase and I must decrease. As I've read John the Baptist say that over and over in my life, I, I see it as a, as a need of continually these things need to happen. He must continually increase and I must continually decrease. The Apostle Paul had already said it. We are unknown yet well known. We are counted as dying yet behold we live. We are counted as punished yet not put to death. As sorrowful but always rejoicing. As poor yet making many rich. As having nothing but possessing everything. So the person who understands the gospel of God's grace in Christ has a transformed mindset as the Spirit orients and adjusts our thinking to value what God values. As Darrell read earlier, to have in mind the things of God, not the things of man. The interests of God, not the interests of man. And we have to continually fight this in ourselves and mortify this in ourselves continuously. This gives us a new self-understanding which cultivates a spirit of humility and boldness at the same time because the gospel shows you both the glory of Jesus and the humility of Jesus all at the same time. Look at his glory and look at his humility. So that's the gospel-driven mindset. And Paul shared that with the Corinthians. And he worked it out continuously in his life, not only to them but to other churches. Now, your mindset then affects your methods. Your thinking then determines how you behave and what you begin to do with your strategies and your applications. So 
this mindset that Paul had then affected how he related to other people. Now, because this is a difficult world, it's a sinful, fallen world, it is competitive, it is unjust in so many ways, you and I have daily decisions to make. Are we going to trust in the Lord and lean not on our own understanding, or are we going to follow our own schemes and devices? Paul is saying these super apostles, they're full of schemes and they're full of devices. What they don't have are methods which come from God and which are driven by the gospel. So he goes through this text to the Corinthians talking about his, you know, how he functioned among them. And I just want to highlight some of the things that he highlights. God confirmed the apostle Paul through signs, wonders, and miracles. God confirmed that Paul really was the real deal. Now, the Corinthians weren't seeing it because their minds and their hearts were led astray by what appeared to be glorious. But Paul says, look, verse 12, the signs of a true apostle were done among you. And it didn't come easy either. It came with perseverance. Paul says, don't make me regurgitate my list of difficulties because he gave that back in 2 Corinthians 11. Not only that, but Paul says, I am not going to treat any of you as inferior either. If I know that I'm not inferior, then that also means that none of you are inferior. So I'm not going to treat you as inferiors. I'm not going to be condescending. I'm not going to bully you. I'm not going to intimidate you. Paul will not treat others as inferior because he knows their worth and value is also found in the gospel. So there's no snobbery. There's no bullying. He's not also going to be a burden to the Corinthians. He says, look, I'm not going to have a financial relationship with you. I want us to be free from accusation, free from any discussion of whether or not I'm you know, burdening the Corinthians. because I'm. A, remember the offering to the, to the Jerusalem poor that Paul is talking to the Corinthians about taking? We can read between the lines here that some thought, oh, Paul's not taking money from us because he's going to skim money off of the offering that he wants us to take for Jerusalem. So you had all this financial integrity and all these questions that were coming up about his financial integrity. And Paul thinks these are coming from those so-called super apostles. So Paul says, I'm not going to be a burden to you. I'm thinking Paul didn't want to be a burden because he knows Christ has taken the burden of sin and guilt off of him. Therefore, he will seek to relieve the burdens of others and not exploit them. Paul says, I love you. Am I wrong to expect love in return? The gospel is good news of God's love. So Paul seeks to love the Corinthians the way that God first loved him. Now, if I were going to choose a phrase to really, if you hadn't been with me yet, get with me now because I'm going to give you the phrase that I gave Jeff Rude for the church sign. <laughs> this is so good. Look at verse 15. Paul says, I, I, I love you so much, Corinthians, I'm willing to spend and be spent for the sake of your souls. I'm willing to spend and be spent for the sake of your souls. He considered himself to be their father, their spiritual father. So Paul says, I'll gladly do it, like a father would for his children. 
Then I thought about my own life and my love for my own children. And you think momentarily for your life and your love for your children and your grandchildren. The proper mentality would be I will spend and be spent whatever it takes out of love for them, for their benefit and for their soul. In fact, uh, if you have children, you're going to spend a lot. You want, you want to hear the latest stats? <laughs> I've got five, and I didn't want to know this. Don't do the math. The USDA says that for a child born in 2015, to take them from birth to 17, and we know it doesn't end at 17. For middle class families now, uh, it, it, it's going to cost to get them to 17 years old $233,610. So parents, get ready to spend and be spent for the sake of your children. Well, if I bring all five of mine up here, and I'm not going to do that for the two or three that are with us this morning, to which one of those do you tell you're not worth it? Man, they're all worth it. They're worth that and more. And Paul is saying to the Corinthians, look, if you don't get it by now, I'm willing to spend and be spent for the sake of your souls. His mindset, which comes from the gospel affects his methods, and his method is basically to pour out his life for them. Why would Paul do that? Because Paul knows the gospel. He knows that Jesus poured out himself unto death for the sake of Paul's salvation, transformation, and ministry. This phrase, spend and be spent, that's what God has first done for us. Do you hear Ephesians 5 tell husbands? Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ spent himself completely. God did this. He emptied himself completely. He poured himself out and was numbered among the transgressors. Why did God pour himself out? So much because of his deep love for us. That's why he calls the Corinthians the beloved. So it's the good news of what God has done for him in Christ which motivates Paul to not be a fake false apostle but a real apostle in his methods. He had signs and wonders. He, he's not going to treat them as inferior. He's not going to be a burden to, to them. He is going to love them. He is going to spend and be spent. He is not going to be crafty. He's not going to be deceitful. He's not going to take advantage of them, but he is going to send his very best, not just his money, but his time and his energy and his resources. That's why he sends Titus. Well, I don't know if I want to let Titus go. Titus is my starting pitcher. <laughs> now he sends Titus to the Corinthians to prepare them for this coming. So here it is. I'm just talking about the methods that Paul used in ministry are the same methods that you and I need to use in all of our relationships. I follow on Twitter 
a guy named Jack Esterly, which I'm not even sure who he is. I think he may be a life coach. I like something he tweeted this week. Love people even when they are unlovable. Serve whoever, whenever, as much as possible without expecting anything in return. That was number two. Number three, leave every person, place, and circumstance better than you found it. Where do you get the power to love people when they're unlovable? Where do you get the power to serve whoever, whenever, as much as possible without expecting anything? Where do you get the power to leave every place, every person, circumstance better than you found it? Reading between the lines, I think Jack easily must get it, but all those come from the gospel. All those come from what God has first done for us. The gospel-driven mindset leads to these kinds of methods. Then third, gospel-driven motives. He's got a mindset, he's got these methods, but there's a reason why he does what he does. Paul, why are you saying these things? What's your ultimate goal? His ultimate goal is to be pleasing to God. Did you notice that Paul shared in this passage in verse 19? Paul says, look, all this time you've been thinking that what I'm really about is defending myself. He says, it's not about me defending myself. It's actually in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ. So Paul says, well, time out on that. If you're thinking this is about me defending me, you're wrong. Because this is not about me defending me. This is about me being right in the sight of God and fulfilling the charge and responsibility that God has given to me. So in this passage, he shares why he does what he does. His driving motive and his driving agenda is worship. To be pleasing to God. And to speak in Christ, therefore magnifying Christ. For Paul, his ministry is an act of gratitude, an act of joyful work, not self-promotion, self-actualization, or self-preservation. This reminded me of Jonas Salk, who when he discovered the vaccine for polio, people came to him and said, man, you ought to patent this. You could make millions selling this vaccine to prevent one of the most feared diseases that's in our history at the time. He says, I'm not going to patent this and make money off this he said this vaccine belongs to the people it belongs to them it would be like patenting the sun you can't patent the sun this is a gift Paul did this not for himself but for the glory of God and for the benefit of other people it was in the sight of God that he desired to be known and approved and upheld. Paul desired to hear from God, this is my beloved servant in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Well done, good and faithful servant. And Paul saw all of this in Christ. Christ is why he speaks. Christ is his subject. Christ is his motive. Christ is his goal. I've got to move to the last point. That's a gospel-driven motive to do it all for the glory of God in grateful worship for what God has first done for us. Then, then last of all, I just want to touch on this in closing. He had a gospel-driven mission. Paul understood that the ultimate goal of the gospel was the salvation 
and sanctification of our souls, the life of God in the souls of men. For Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. We've already heard several examples from our dear brother of how the word of God leads to salvation of the soul, which leads to transformation of the soul. So let's think just a moment about that one phrase, I want to spend and be spent for the sake of souls. The Bible tells us that the soul that sins will die. The Bible tells us that, that those who are wise will win souls. This means that souls need saving and rescuing to be able to appear before a holy God, before whom all of our righteousness, apart from Him, is as filthy rags. The text that Durell read this morning, What will you gain if you gain the whole world and lose your what? Your soul. Do you contemplate the health of your soul? Do you contemplate the salvation of your soul and the souls of those around you? We don't think about our souls. We go living day to day thinking about our stomachs, <laughs> our bank accounts, and the next thing on our agenda, and my bracket, my field of 64, and how it's crumbling apart with March Madness. Once a week, at least, you need somebody to stand before you and say, but what of your soul? How's your soul today? Paul says, I do this for the upbuilding of the beloved. He desires for their souls not only to be saved, but for their edification, for their growth. Paul, Listen, Paul is aware that the Corinthians are loved by and purchased by and that they belong to God. Paul brought them up as his beloved through the work of Christ and the gospel. He says, you are my children. He says this to the Galatians. He would say the same thing to the Corinthians. With whom I am again in labor, here it is, until Christ is formed in you. Paul fears that when he comes for that third visit, their souls won't be in order. He'll be humiliated and crushed. And mournful if their souls are not becoming pure and healthier and more Christ-like. They won't be what he wishes them to be, he says. If he comes and, and they have, and then they're, they're, I'm not going to go through this, but there's a list of 11 things that are detrimental to the soul. And these 11 things point to the fact that if you have them present in your life, Something's not right in your soul. He's telling this to the Corinthians. And these are the practical applications in verses 19, 20, and 21. Strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances, impurity, immorality, sensuality, Paul says these things, these sins thrive in a proud, corrupt, godless environment. For Paul, these are signs and symptoms of deeper, deeper issues, of, of a lack of peace between people. Because people are not at peace within themselves because they're not at peace with God. Paul says mortify this, get this out of your life. First come to God in repentance. He said, you did this before, do it again if necessary. 
So how's your soul? Is there any of this there? Is there strife? Is there jealousy? Is there angry tempers? Is there disputing and slander and gossip and arrogance? A self-inflated delusional ego? <laughs> Impurity, immorality? Since I, why did you go through the list again? Because we need checking here. So I'll close with a prayer that I composed for myself. And I hope for all of us in relationship to what I think Paul is saying to the Corinthians. Because you can best believe that as Pastor Neil worked through those 11 things that I just read and typed out, that I discovered some of those still reside in me. So the disciple of Christ who's concerned about the condition of his soul, not just his salvation, but becoming like Christ, which is the goal... Father, I know these things to be wrong. They illustrate the corruption of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And at times they describe me in my thoughts and in my behaviors. I also know that apart from your help, I'm defenseless and vulnerable to these sins. I need you to empower me to repentance, to not just feel remorse, but to become strong enough to change. Not just to go back and see the calf but to help the calf get on the right side. To lead me not into temptation, but to, to deliver me from evil. Father, these do not match you nor your character, and you are opposed to these in me for my benefit and the benefit of others. Search me, O God, and know my heart, and see if there's any hurtful way in me, and turn me and lead me in the everlasting way. That's Psalm 139, 23 and 24. And I want to encourage you that the gospel promises not only salvation of your soul from the penalty of sin, but it also promises that he will transform our hearts and lives to new desires, new ambitions, new behaviors. We are saved to a life of lifelong repentance. We also live with the assurance that faithful is he who calls you, he will also bring it to pass. And that God is at work in you both to will and do for his good pleasure. And that we are confident that what God began in you, he will also complete it on the day of Christ Jesus. The question for the Corinthians is not how will Paul find us when he comes. But the question goes beyond to how will Christ find us when he comes. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for your grace, your love, and your mercy apart from which none of us could stand. And your joy is our strength. And I pray, Father, that all of us, if we've heard Paul share his heart to the Corinthians, that you have exposed to us again the need to spend and be spent for the sake of souls, our own souls, the souls of those around us, Father, because you have first done that out of love for us, out of justice and glory, in yourself, Father, we take all of our cues and all of our leads from you and what you have done on our behalf. May we rejoice in it. May we rest in it. May we celebrate it. May we share it with others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand this morning and sing about our need for Christ and the gospel. Every hour, let's sing.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, and thank you for your love and compassion and kindness to me. And, and we just thank you for, for what I heard this morning. God, I, I need to be reminded, you know, every day of the gospel and what Jesus did for me. God, it's just, you were just so kind, Lord, forgive me when I didn't know you. I just want to tell you that I love you, and I'm, I'm grateful to be your child, God. And, and, and remember on the days it's bad, that one day I'm going to go to heaven, God, for what you did for me. And it, it was all just grace. Lord, I just pray that uh, you'd bless our church and bless our offering. These things I ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Please stand for our benediction. You're seeing pictures of the Appalachian Trail Ministry. What a joy to serve up there last weekend. I want to thank everybody on the team who was a part of that and all of you for praying, especially Johnny and Patsy. Thank you so much on that cold mountain both mornings cooking those hot dogs, those hikers. That was, that was a joy to, to be a part of. Um, tonight, 6 o'clock conference, 7 deacons meeting. What a joy to have all of you with us, especially our visitor from the Gideon's Ministry. Brother Worrell, thank you. Thank you for being at Glenlock today. We'll now sing Blessed Be the Tie. Catherine, would you come? I want to read you something really quick. Sorry. I don't know if y'all have ever seen these Then Sing My Soul books, but they tell about hymns. And the one about I need thee every hour is just really cool. Um, it was written by Annie Hawkins, and she writes, One day as a young wife and mother of 37 years old, I was busy with just regular household tasks when suddenly I became filled with a sense of nearness to the master, and I wondered how would anyone live without him? They would have to live in either great joy or great pain. And the words, I need thee every hour, was rushed into my mind. And the thought, at once tasking full possession of me, I thought, I do need thee every hour. And that's when she wrote the hymn, I need thee every hour, that night. And they set it to music that Sunday at church. Um, so that's just an encouragement to you as you go out this week in your um, different career task and daily things. Just a reminder that we need them every hour. Bless be the time. Mm -hmm. 